0: Come back! Go on! Yeah, no, I heard that. I got that.
1: Welcome back. Now we're back! We are back, baby. We're back! We are back! We are back! back. Yes, we're
2: back. What do you mean is Old Testament, Mr. Mayor?
1: Real Wrath of God type stuff. Great Scott. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness. Earthquake possible. The man rising from the grave. Man of best destiny. You can't fight it, neither can I. Whoa! Whoa! Dogs and cats living together.
0: Passes parry. Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. You're listening to Fearless with Mark and Amber, a behind-the-scenes of our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features, where we are creating documentary films about the issues impacting our culture and society from a biblical perspective and pursuing truth above all else. I'm Amber Archer, and joining me is my husband, author, director, speaker, Mark Archer. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. You can learn more about us and the movies we're making by visiting fearlessfeatures.org. Well, it is Tuesday, another glorious Tuesday. I'm going to be sad when we have to, you know, make a new intro. <laughs> I like that we're back. Maybe we can just say it's we're back for each week. <laughs>
1: well, it was fun to put together, but... But we're back for the new year. It's time, to, it's time to not be back again. We're here.
0: Okay, so last week was we're back. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. So what do we got going on today?
1: Well, so uh, we've got part two of interview with the abortionist yes Um, but before that i had some uh some audio that i wanted to share from somebody else's podcast so the men in the audience i think a lot of them will recognize they'll they're gonna know who at least one of these guys is okay so mike glover Mm -hmm. who is a name rings a bell yeah former green beret he has a huge following on youtube and and uh, he's got several companies. He owns a company called Fieldcraft Survival. He just wrote a new book called Prepared. Very good book. I highly recommend it. And he, uh, you know, he's a, he's just a, he's a very interesting guy. He's got an interesting perspective as a former Special Forces operator. Um, and he his podcast is really interesting. It's called the Mike Force Podcast. Okay. And he... Uh this popped up in my feed the other day, and he interviewed a guy by the name of Kyle Thompson, who I'd never heard of. <clears throat> um, and I want to I share, well, let me tell you who Kyle Thompson is, and then I want to share a, a snippet from their conversation on one of Mike's podcasts, mm-hmm. where they're talking about the church, and uh, it's going to lead us to a brief discussion about warrior culture, okay. which we've had. Um, that we want to share with all of you. So Kyle Thompson, um, founded Undaunted Life in 2017. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness. They do this by providing content that leads men to forge spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Kyle is also the host of Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. So we'll leave links to all these in our show notes. Um, His podcast has reached the top 10 and top 15 on the Apple Podcasts and Spotify charts, respectively. That's pretty impressive. Good job. Uh, On the show, he tackles hot-button issues that most pastors won't go near, such as the lack of true masculinity in the church, supposed toxic masculinity in culture, how to defeat pro-abortion arguments, wokeness, and cancel culture, CRT, LGBTQ plus cultural revolution, and much more.
0: Oh, uh, we could be friends. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so we definitely. I want to try and connect with him. Maybe we can have him on. I would love to interview uh, Mike Glover. I know he's he's super busy and he's in high demand. Um, but when listening to you have to go and listen to their whole conversation because um, Mike Glover, you know he doesn't talk he mostly talks about preparedness things, mm-hmm. and he he uh, does commentary on um, a lot of you know tactical things tactical knowledge i the, situational awareness yeah kind yeah of. so so one of his one of his companies is American contingency, okay. Um, which I was part of for a little while. And American Contingency, those, those of you who have followed the reckless abandon of our federal government, and especially the FBI, mm-hmm. the FBI put Mike Glover and American Contingency on their,
0: Wait a minute. Terror watch list.
1: MVE watch list, which is militia <laughs> violent extremists. Right? Oh
0: my gosh. Okay.
1: And the organization that he founded, American Contingency. Okay. Let me tell you what American Contingency is. AmCon is a preparedness network. Okay. okay? Tell people what AmCon is. American Contingency. Oh, okay. Okay. So
0: yeah, I was a following. Sorry.
1: It's it's <laughs> a it's a group. Uh, you know, it's a na- national network of people who are. You know, those dangerous ham radio operators.
0: Which are a ham operator. I'm
1: a ham radio operator. <laughs> <laughs> um, those dangerous people who are interested in uh, learning things like first aid. Uh-huh. Uh, canning.
0: Hey, where's your button? I don't like you because
1: you're dangerous. <laughs> oh, hold on. Let me get my buttons ready. I don't like you because you're dangerous. <laughs> first aid. I am dangerous. Um... Canning food. You're everyone's problem. Oh
0: my gosh! Yeah. <laughs>
1: right. Um, homeschooling. Mm. Right. Emergency communications. Right. All of these sounds th- like a big threat. Very very dangerous organization, uh-huh. according to the woke FBI. Uh-huh. Right. So this is American contingency. This is Mike Glover, and um, he he called them out because Mike Mike Glover. Not only was he a Green Bray, he also used to be a uh, – work, he worked for the CIA as a contractor overseas. So basically what we call contractors, they're really mercenaries, right? <laughs> right. So our former military people and they go overseas to do military work, that's mercenaries. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's done all that and he does training at a very high level for state, local state and federal agencies, right? This is a guy who – and I would love to take one of his classes in person, but he just watching his videos helped me learn to be a better shooter. Right. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's very good instructor. Knowledgeable. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is Mike Glover. And when, when it broke, when the news broke that he and American contingency were considered dangerous domestic terrorists to be on the watch for, he did a video where he, called out all the people at the FBI that he knows because he's trained them. Yeah. And basically saying, you know, what's your deal? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's Mike Glover. So So that's who we're going to listen to. This we're going to listen to.
0: So he and what Thompson?
1: This is So this is Kyle Thompson Kyle and Thompson. Mike Glover and this is a clip that's an hour long podcast this is about a 5 minute clip from this uh, conversation they had. So let's give it a listen. Okay. What what is it that you do? And then where does that uh, come from?
2: Yeah, so the short version of the story is, I I didn't grow up going to church, but if you live in Oklahoma and you were born in Oklahoma, you're Christian by dint of birth is kind of how people think about it. And so, you know, you vote Republican, you listen to country music, and you probably get to go to heaven. Like, that's kind of the idea. (laughs) And so I started going to church on my own when I was in junior high, because that's where all the cute girls went on Wednesday night, like that kind of thing. But then as a 10th grader, this guest preacher came in hellfire and brimstone, like, Oh, there's volcanoes and earthquakes and everything's increasing. And I'm like, hell sounds terrible. And so, uh, in that moment, depending on your theological leaning, that's either when Jesus, you know, snatched me up or that's when I chose him, you know, that type of thing. And so just like to put yourself in this perspective, go back to when you were 15, right? Cause I'm 15 years old and I'm a Christian now. Okay. Well, what does that mean? So I'm like trying to figure out what that means. I'm reading the Bible. I'm like going to Christian bookstores and I'm like trying to find context. Right. So at the same time, I'm trying to become a Christian or trying to figure out what that means as like living that out. I'm also trying to figure out what it means to be a man because I'm 15, Mm -hmm. right? My parents are divorced. I don't live with my dad. And so it's like, you know, you're kind of in that weird spot, right? And so the conclusion I came to was, all right, all the godly men are inside the church doing God stuff, right? Praying and giving you limp handshakes and, you know, tucking in, you know, their shirt to their khakis. And then all the manly men are outside the church doing man stuff. Right. Outdoors. Like he started. in the park. Right. Yeah, like, like that, that, dude, that type of, the same thing we talked about when he came on my show, mm-hmm. when he talked about you wanted to hit like a cow, do like a cowboy church type of thing. And so I carried that dichotomy into my twenties. And until I started really digging into the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus for myself, I was like, wait a minute. Like Jesus seems like a super rough, gruff, like intimidating Middle Eastern Jewish construction worker. Right. He's not like how he's depicted in all these, these p- pieces of art and things like that, where he's kind of like, looks like a Danish model with like soft features. It's like, what are, what are you talking about? Who, who is this guy? Good it's skin. Like, well, like, look at it. Just look at the one story of him clearing the temple. So he walks into the temple and he sees p- money changers and people that are, you know, created his father's house as a, as a place of business. And what the scripture tells us is that he leaves, goes and makes a whip of cords and comes back. So he didn't have a whip of cords on his hip, right? He wasn't carrying. He goes and makes a whip, comes back and clears out the temple. Now this is where people lose the thread on that story. It was premeditated righteous aggression because he knew what he was going to do whenever he was making the cord, right? But it was an inherently violent act as well because people are like, oh yeah, he just cleared out the pigeons and and sheep and all that. It's like, no, no, no. He cleared out the pigeons, the sheep and the people that were selling them Mm. and the money changers. And with the number of people that would have been at the temple, like, how intimidating did this guy's violent aggression have to be for no one to try to stop him? We see nothing in the account that shows that anybody tried to stop him. Mm. Like imagine, you know, teaching one of your classes, right? Maybe, maybe field craft's a bad example, but imagine teaching one of your classes and somebody coming in with a whip and clearing the room out. Mm. Like what would they have, what kind of look would they have to have in their eye to be like, all right, player, like we're not going to, we're not going to do this. And so that's when I started to be like, wait a minute. Dudes that are more wired like you. So guys that come from the military or LEO, or fighters or construction work, these rougher guys, they walk into churches and they're like, uh, if this is what it means to be a Christian, like singing these homoerotic songs and a key that I can't hit and wearing these types of clothes and talking the way these people talk and it seems super inauthentic. And like you you see, like I was talking with one of your guys out front, it's like you're surrounded by people that you don't think have ever done anything hard. They have no calluses on their hands, like their faces look normal, no crooked noses, no, no cauliflower, and it's like, I was I was terrified that people were going to miss out on who Jesus was because his followers are so soft.
1: Wow, that is so good. I I was.
2: Uh, now I, I want to go back and listen to the whole thing.
1: I, I you have to listen to the whole. It is a fascinating conversation, but man, that part of it is so spot on. Mm-hmm. Too. I mean, I I was laughing, um, but it's sad because it's exactly it's exactly how I have felt I think for a long time, and I know, I know that there's a lot of guys in our audience that that think and act like me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they get it, right?
0: Well, when you read through the scriptures, and even in Exodus fifteen three, the Lord is a warrior. Right. The Lord is his name. Right. You know, so how do we... Yes, he's a loving God. Yes, yes, he's caring. But also, we are supposed to take what we know about God. Because, you know, we were just studying through Joshua at mm-hmm. church. And what did I always say... The, the people melted, their hearts melted in fear because they knew that the Lord was with the people of Israel.
1: Right. I love his, there's so many things about this to, to, uh, unravel the, his, his comment about how, about how Jesus is portrayed Mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. This hits home because, you know, we make movies and. I don't want to necessarily, I'm not going to pick on anything in particular. So let's talk about The Chosen, okay? Uh-huh. Very popular series. I think it's a great series. We love watching it. We love it. watching it. I love how they have cast that. But I can tell you that, you know, a filmmaker decision, what what um, Dallas, mm-hmm. Dallas Jenkins, what he's done there <laughs> with Jonathan, what's Romy. his name? Rumi. Rumi uh cast as jesus he kind of fits into that right i mean he's a good looking jesus and he but he fits into let's face it what all of us we really want jesus to look like that right we want that to be the jesus. clean and yeah. comfortable nice guy you know not he's not effeminate but he's not super weird and he's you know he's a good looking guy and he, you just think yeah that's that's my jesus
0: well, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but if I'm remembering right, there's a piece of scripture that just popped in my mind where it says that he wasn't.
1: He was not, He yes, was
0: not a, um, a like a, what, did, an attra- what is it? He
1: wasn't a ne- necessarily an attractive man. Yeah, what? Right? what
0: I, hang on, not, it's going to drive me nuts.
1: Yeah, uh, not anyone that you would notice. Well, right. and in fact, where was it um, when, when in the garden, when Judas betrayed Christ. Mm-hmm. And they came and what did Judas have to do? He, he said had to the, kiss the one that I kiss is the one because he didn't stand out. Right. So he looked like all the rest of them. Well, who were all the rest of them? They were they were uh, you know, fishermen and, you know, yeah. the what he's talking about, the the rough and ready kind of um, uh, you know, warriors, if you will. So we have kind of allowed this image of Christ as this very soft kind of thing. And I, and I'm, again, I'm not picking on any portrayal of him in particular. I think, I think what they've done with the chosen is y- y- as a director, as a writer, you could look at it and say, well, you know, Jesus really should be this, but if I make him this, people won't buy it.
0: Oh, that's what I was right? going to say, because <laughs> if it's offensive, <clears throat> right. if it's too much, we get blamed for that all the time. Right. It's too harsh. Can you make a secular, secular version? Right. right. You know, we, but uh, I did find it. Isaiah 53, 2. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. Here it is. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him.
1: Right, so That's, so so right there, you know, you could you could make the argument that the even the way he's portrayed in a <laughs> in a series like The Chosen is, you know, it's not biblical, I guess technically, but it is what it is. But, I'm, but I'm, you see how I'm not saying it's wrong to watch it, and that it's no, it's it's art. Right? But so and going back alone.
0: to the interview of what Kyle Thompson was talking about, you mm-hmm. can see how easily there are there are men, obviously who are put off by the um, environment, if you will, of the, I don't want to say dainty church. The modern church. (laughs) The modern church. Absolutely. And the thing is, you know, it it comes down to being a heart issue as well, because it goes both ways. Right. Okay. So I don't want to say that everybody's wrong and nobody's right Mm -hmm. kind of idea, but it is kind of that because we're there to be together, which we're commanded to do, mm-hmm. not to give up the gathering. And we're there to learn and grow together. And we are all one body and many parts, mm-hmm. as we're clearly told through scripture. And it's sad, I think, it's it's sad when you have people like Kyle Thompson who uh, walk away from a congregation because mm-hmm. it's, it's too... Um,
1: well, listen. Ben if you, if you and I think all of us, all of us know, or maybe you know really well because you see them every morning in the mirror, somebody who goes from church to church that you stay for a little while mm. and then they go and that no, that church just wasn't working for us, right? Yes. Um, when you're just how many shopping how many t- yeah? When you're church shopping, maybe you're the problem. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. I don't know what the situation is. I'm not saying that that you should stay at a bad church. But we all know people who they they bounce from church to church because
0: it doesn't fit. Their it doesn't fit rubric. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, they're not doing anything for me. Well, um, maybe the issue is the one <laughs> who you're the most familiar with, right? Yeah. It's it's maybe the issue is you. And I, I, while he makes so many good points, and uh, when he's talking about um how the you know the soft people in the church, the soft men in the church and i listened to that and i went yeah right on because there's so many people that i see in these churches when we go around and I, and I just what he said i look at sometimes you look at them and go i don't think these guys have ever done anything hard <laughs> yeah. but the balance to that uh which we've talked about early in the morning is my issue right now is with warrior culture. Mm. It's not that I don't appreciate warrior culture.
0: And when you say that, <laughs> help people understand, because you're not talking about warrior culture in the church.
1: Right. My my issue is the, I mean. The rough and tough. The, the okay, warrior culture in uh Online, for example, it's if you shoot guns, right, if you're into guns or hunting, anything like that, if if you follow guys like Mike Glover, uh, John Lovell, you know, hey, even jo- coffee brands now. Yeah, yeah. Jocko, you know, Jocko Willink. And I mean, there's there's a ton of these guys that are former Navy SEAL, former Green Beret, you know, and and they're teaching uh, the next generation. The next generation about guns and tactical gear, you know, how to be tactical and all this. Stuff. Listen, I love all this stuff. I'm big into guns and and I get it. The However. problem <laughs> is that I look at people, it, it, It's it becomes, well, you know, he knows all about guns, so I'm going to take life advice from him. Well, mm. what do you know about his life? What do you know about, does he even know how to hold a marriage together? Is he a godly man? That's the, that's the real issue. And you can tell that by looking at the body of their work and listening to what they say. The I've, I've listened to some of these, you know, ex-Special Forces guys on their podcast giving advice on things like relationships and marriage. And I think, this is terrible advice. <laughs> this is terrible advice. You're just setting guys up. To do exactly what you did, which is to have a failed relationship, a failed marriage, this is terrible advice, and it's and it's all encompassing, right? What is what is the the world's warrior culture is is you wear tactical gear, you like guns, uh, you drink a a certain brand of coffee, right, because you like the picture on the bag, Mm -hmm. and you drink whiskey. And you're surrounded by scantily clad women. Mm-hmm. That's modern American warrior culture, and it's it's not biblical. Mm-hmm. And so, what I love about this conversation that they're having, and what uh, what Kyle Thompson is trying to do, is to balance that by saying, "You want to know what a real warrior is? It's a biblical warrior. Mm-hmm. It's it's a man who." can do those things and provide protection and lead by example and do the rough and tumble. But he's also a man who loves his children, Mm -hmm. who's faithful to his wife. He's not out of control. He's not, you know,
0: a wrecking ball. He's
1: not a wrecking ball. He's (laughs) not watching the porn. He's not consuming, you know, the, all the alcohol. I mean, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I hear this all the time, you know, well, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of that's okay. no. It's not. No. You know, don't give the devil a foothold. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't touch alcohol. I have I have done plenty of alcohol things in my past life. I don't do it anymore. I mm-hmm. just we we both stopped.
0: Such were some of you. <laughs> we both stopped that. <laughs> yeah.
1: cold in its tracks and we don't touch it. Yeah. I don't I don't chastise men if they, you know, if they want to have a drink and, and they ask me if I want and I say, no, I don't, I don't want that. And, and they'll kind of look at you sideways. And I just look at it and say, every, pretty much every majorly bad decision that I've made in my life was fueled by alcohol. So I don't touch it anymore. Mm-hmm. It, all it does is lead to trouble. Yeah. And, um, and I learned a long time ago that I have an addictive personality. And so I tend to not be able to stop. So I don't do it. What does the Bible say? Stay far away from those things, not to be drunk, not to be out of control, be clear minded and sober. So as men, that's our responsibility to be clear minded and sober and to keep things in balance. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, and it's funny. It's funny how he's talking about, you know, cal- when, when he's talking about cauliflower, do you, you know yeah, what that uh, is? boxing. Yeah, boxing,
0: whatever, martial arts or whatever. Yeah, it's called
1: cauliflower. Cal- Cauliflower ear. Mm-hmm. It's from getting your head bashed yeah. multiple times when you when you get bopped in the ears enough. Yeah. And it breaks the, the blood vessels up. And when it heals back up, it's all lumpy. I mean, you look at guys who are professional fighters, fighters especially yeah. UFC guys, mm-hmm. <laughs> and their ears are a mess. Yeah. That's what that is. So, um, and you can just tell, you know, guys, guys, and, and women too, who have had... Uh, a rough life and those who have really never experienced much.
0: Well, and I can share a story and speak a little bit to that because many of you know our story. We've shared it before uh, here on our podcast Mm -hmm. and other podcasts, you know, Mark and I met in the strip club that I worked at Mm -hmm. and I was a drug addict, alcoholic, obviously stripper. and And,
1: And I was a man who was, had bought in fully to the modern warrior culture, I was drinking. I was consuming pornography. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: That just so. happens to be live pornography. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. That's what strip clubs are. Just FYI. Just FYI.
0: Um, anyway, but but it was fascinating when I shared my testimony with people at church and there were women who uh, were very, some of them were put off. Others, you know, we would have, we would sit down and have Bible study and, mm-hmm. you know, and this is. some time had passed since i had shared my testimony but they all knew it and you know i don't remember which piece of scripture we were studying but you know it's like she looked at me this is an older woman who has always been in the word and she said something along the lines of i just feel like i've maybe i'm missing out on something right (laughs) and i'm like (laughs) no let's put this into perspective because there was a time uh early on when we first started going to church together, mm-hmm. that I didn't want anything to do with any of the nicety nice Christian women, right? right.
1: The and, church girls.
0: Yeah, the church girls, like, right. And I, and I laugh today because I am, I am that church woman, <laughs> right? Like, if you guys, if you see me at church, I am usually in a dress and heels and love to get dressed up for church. I am mm-hmm. a traditional, I never had that growing up. Right. And I so craved it. I love the old hymns. Mm-hmm. I just, I want everything that is so powerful in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And and I think, you know, and, and I'll get back to what I was going to say, because I feel like I'm getting off on a bunny trail. But, you know, reading the other day, and I came across a piece of scripture that says, teach us to number our days, mm-hmm. that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And I think there are so many times that we take life for granted. And so for me, I just want to live the fullest life that the Lord has given me every day and enjoy every moment because I'm not always going to be this strong, right? And neither are any of you listening. We're not all going to be if, if we're younger, especially if you're younger than us, mm-hmm. you're not always going to look like that. You're not always going to be that strong. You're not always going to have these different things to do. But the Lord gives us different seasons in life to do things. And so we need to take full advantage of everything that we can while we can in this season. But anyway, back to the um, the Bible study and feel like people are missing out. And, you know, I had to confess to these women. I had a, I had a really, really hard time when I first Uh, tried getting involved because I felt the same way. You guys have no idea what life is, what hard life is even like. Mm -hmm. You have grown up in a Christian home. You've had everything given to you. There's you you, like you've not struggled in life.
1: Right. And and I should point out. And again, the same way that they were making assumptions about you, you were making assumptions about them. Yes. Based on. How you read them and their external yep. appearance, and
0: I will tell you, I will, I will never forget. This is so ingrained in my mind, and I share it with people all the time, especially um, people who have had a hard life that I've had. And I left, I left that Bible study, and I was sort of angry, mm-hmm. and and I and and I was just praying to the Lord, you know, just me and the Lord having a conversation, and it's like these people don't understand why am I even here? What I don't even like these people, right? I don't even, <laughs> I don't even like you. I never want to talk to you again. And in that instant moment,
2: I don't like you because you're
1: dangerous.
0: (laughs) No, but it was in that instant moment, the Lord so spoke to my heart and Mm -hmm. he said, are you not raising three just like them? Mm -hmm. And I went, whoa, reality check, Amber. I am now a Christian living a Christian life, raising three Christian young ladies who are going to grow up just like these people that I can't stand. <laughs> right. And so my attitude and my heart so changed and I have mm-hmm. just loved people unconditionally. Right.
1: And I, I remember you telling me that you even said to one of them, don't go chasing after a testimony. Uh,
0: exactly. Because, Do not go chasing a testimony
1: because she was kind of indicating that she felt like she wasn't good enough because she didn't have a fantastic tragic testimony oh my like gosh. you did
0: y'all y'all don't know don't do it yeah don't like, do I'm, it i'm telling you don't do it you can live a full life in the lord
1: yeah, it's joyfully an, and it's interesting because you know i grew up as as you know in in a christian school in a good church good solid home and in my when i got out of school and i'm you know in my late teens early 20s and everyone that i would deal with they would tell me things like that you know well you're just you're just that spoiled brat rich preppy christian kid you know you've never you don't know what life is really like and i fell into that trap of basically trying to chase a testimony yeah. you know going yeah well i'll show you i'm i'm just as troubled as you and so i went so you searching did. for trouble and Raudible i thought like, you go looking for it you'll find it yeah trust me um so don't don't follow my path don't follow don't no (laughs) no um no
0: and and we share these things to spare people from going down those paths yeah i mean i cannot you know we have to be in the word and understand there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus and oh by the way um He's making all things new. I keep—I I have several scripture <laughs> verses that are running through my mind at the moment. But you know, that's the thing: when you know who you are in Christ, you can freely share these things and help other people. We have to help the next generation because they are so being led astray yeah. by the world, the warrior culture, the darkness of this world. So,
1: and let me just chastise for for just a moment the men who have bought into this lie of. Listen, I get it. When you when you are part of an organization, right, and you look around and you go, these guys are a bunch of wussies. You know, they've never done anything hard. Or, you hear it especially from guys who have who have served in the military. And I get it. I do. I get it. And I respect that. And we, and we that.
0: respect and appreciate your service. I,
1: I, I appreciate it. But listen, just because they didn't doesn't make them less than you, right? Somebody right. has to do the books. Can you do the books? Right. Right. Well, I can, I can, you know, build my own rifle and skin a deer. Great. Do you know how to organize things? Do you hey, know how to run the organ? One body, many parts.
0: That's right. And time out. And if you have those skills, mm-hmm. are you teaching them to other people?
1: Right. So when I see these men, that they'll, they refuse to even engage. You know, and and I hear it all the time. It's a bunch of I don't I don't I don't fit in there. Well, maybe you're the change agent that that place needs. Yeah, exactly. Maybe you should go in there. You should stop with your pathetic excuses.
0: Stop making it about you? Yeah,
1: that's exactly stop what it is. Stop making it about you. Is this all Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that church was all about you. And unless you find something that exactly matches what your you think it's supposed to be. I'm not sure what you think it's supposed to be, dude. Yeah. Why don't you get in there? And suck it up, buttercup. Well, I don't like the music. Well, you know what? I don't like the music either, but I'm still there serving, doing my job. It's not my job to do the music. Well, I don't like the pastor. Okay, well, get over it. You didn't like your CO when you were serving either, right? Mm-hmm. Get over it. It's time for the men to step up and be the change agents and learn how to how to help lead others.
0: They have to lead their families first.
1: Right. You got to lead your family. But before that, you got to be on your knees before the Lord every morning. That's where a warrior starts. Yep. Is by submitting to your commanding officer. And that's the king. Mm -hmm. And if it's not the king, maybe your commanding officer is the guy looking at you in the mirror. Then you got a real problem. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So anyway, I just thought that that conversation was fascinating. It really hit on a a nerve for me because I have I've really I've struggled with this Mm. and and what I see with I love the warriors I love the 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 masculine counterculture that's emerging to counter all this wokeness but the answer is not to go so extreme that we become totally hedonistic right which is what I'm seeing yeah and be very very careful Whose advice you're taking just be well, he, you know, he was a Navy SEAL. So I'm going to listen to his advice on everything. You know what the divorce rate is in special forces, right? Mm. So maybe, maybe not listening to all of their advice on marriage and relationships, right? Maybe you can learn more from the guy that you think is soft, but he's managed to be, to stay married for 55 years. Yeah. Right. Maybe I'm just saying look at it for what it is so uh we'll leave the links to that in the show notes so we're going to go to break and then we'll come back with part two of interview with the abortionist
2: i had a lot of righteous anger um it's very
0: concerning that there's so many lukewarm people out there that don't even know that this is a topic of discussion
2: Well, this is the second time I've seen it. Um, The first time I was more shocked and angry and scared, I guess, for the kids. Um, This time I heard the call to action much stronger. And so that's why I'm speaking up now. I had no idea that Antifa is now going after this area. No clue
0: about that until those women, those parents were interviewed and how Antifa is... Now I understand, that, that's the connecting the dots.
1: Hysthoria makes the case. It lays out the, the issues, it lays out the concerns, and it even gives us a road map of the ways that we can combat this. Uh, so it's imperative that we make sure that everybody that we know gets to know about this movie, uh, gets to understand about it. And uh, we really need to spread the word as best we can.
0: So who needs to see this film?
2: Um, anybody that huh, has breeds air um, in, in reality it's going to be anybody who's a grandparent anybody who's a parent anybody who's thinking to have a
0: child um, I would say anybody that can have the opportunity to go out and, and have action to, to save our children in any capacity get your tickets at dysphoriamovie.com.
1: okay so now we're going to shift gears here to part two of interview with the abortionist. If you missed part one, go back to last week's episode. So this was a four part blog series that I wrote while we were working on Inwood drive, Mm -hmm. which is our first documentary. Um, and from this, um, I ended up writing a companion book to the film. So the companion book, if you, uh, want to read it, it's uh, available for purchase on our website, fearlessfeatures.org. The companion book to Inwood Drive tells the rest of the story that we couldn't fit into the film. So Mm -hmm. if you want to know the real backstory to this guy, George Klopfer, uh, the abortionist who was shut down, um, very interesting stuff. How his family got here and through uh, Operation Paperclip, which was a CIA program. Yeah. The same program that brought the nuclear scientists over from Germany to here. I mean, it is it is that deep and twisted. So uh, Klopfer's dad, we found out later, uh, worked for IG Farben Industries uh, in Germany, and he was a chemical engineer and helped to develop uh, nerve gas. That mm-hmm. uh, they used
0: uh, in... The concentration camps.
1: Yeah, at Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. He held several patents. So his dad was a Nazi, mm-hmm. right? So this is the son of a Nazi, like Klaus Schwab himself, right? Yeah. Son of a Nazi who comes over and uh, becomes an abortion doctor by conservative estimates. And uh, when, when I wrote this blog, we didn't know yet the full extent of Klopfer's reign of terror. Uh, the numbers we had were minimum of 10,000 up to 30,000 mm-hmm. babies that he killed. Uh, the high estimates now that that we heard after the fact were maybe as many as 50,000. Mm-hmm. 50,000 babies Lives. that this man mm-hmm. may have taken. So anyway, this is uh, part two of Interview with the Abortionist. Interview with the Abortionist, part two. We didn't tell very many people about our appointment to interview abortionist George Klopfer for our documentary film, Inwood Drive. But the few people we did tell about it were universally shocked by it. Half were shocked that he had agreed to even talk with us. The other half were shocked that we were even giving him the time of day. I would have to say that for my own part, I was pretty much in both camps. Transparency is difficult, especially in nonfiction storytelling. There's always the temptation to just fabricate the elements you're missing based upon loosely gathered information and conjecture rather than actual first-hand accounts. Of course, you don't tell yourself you're fabricating things. You you use creative language like filling in the blanks or just taking some creative license. The problem is it's still inserting what you want to happen where something may or may not have happened. I hear people try to justify it all the time. Well, how do we know it didn't happen that way? Simple. You don't know it happened that way or at all. You're making it up, and that's kind of called a lie. Former CBS investigative journalist turned independent investigative journalist Cheryl Atkison in her book, stonewalled described herself and her role as a journalist as being necessarily politically agnostic and i i like that term a lot in other words she keeps her political opinions to herself and doesn't let personal viewpoints on individuals or subject matter affect her objectivity with a story it's a lonely place to be when people know that you're only driven by the truth i dare say it makes a lot of people nervous to even be around you Because they know they're not going to be able to contain you or to steer you in a certain direction. Friends or not, if you're hiding something from a truth seeker, they're really not going to cut you any slack. They only want the truth. I make it a point in my work to remain politically agnostic as well. I mean, anybody who knows me or even follows my work will be able to quickly ascertain where I stand on most things. But I purposely don't push parties or platforms for politicians. I push truth, wherever that leads me. Sometimes my digging makes even my friends nervous. Pursuing an interview with the abortionist himself made even some of our financial supporters nervous. But not to make the effort would be dishonest to telling a thoroughly researched story. Especially when you're telling a story that largely centers around one person, you must talk to that person if at all possible. Anything less is disingenuous at best, if not propagandist in nature. You could say I have a unique perspective on the abortion issue since I was born in 1973, the same year the U.S. Supreme Court made it legal to dismember me with surgical instruments and pull me out of my mother's womb in pieces. I was also born in the state of New York, the same state that just made it legal to kill babies like me even after we're born. To be going in to have a civil discourse with a man who has been murdering my generation since he could do it and not be imprisoned gave me a particular sort of creepiness that seemed to run up and down my spine for days. Here I was getting ready to go in and talk to a man who no doubt would have murdered me for money in 1973 if I were but part of another family and another life, Why do I even care to give this man an opportunity to speak to me? I would think to myself over and over again. I know all I need to know about him from decades of publicly available information in the press. He has denied tens of thousands of children their own voices. Why does he now get to be heard? I would console myself with the reminder of whose film this is in the end, and who gets to make those editorial decisions as to who stays in the final cut, and who doesn't. To say that I was going to let him tell his side of the story would be wrong. I already know his side of the story. He's an abortionist. He murders babies. What I don't know is what makes a man like him do what he does without remorse. If I can get to at least a basic understanding of that, I can tell a truthful story. Every villain needs a backstory, even if it's George Klopfer. The morning of our interview, Amber and I got up together at our usual time, around 3.30 a.m., to read scripture together and to pray. We're both early risers because we found with three young children that if we don't take our time together in the morning to be with each other and the Lord, it tends to not happen later. We read together and prayed together and In particular, we prayed for George. We had no idea who we were going to encounter that day, only that we were talking to a man who had been deceived his entire life, literally doing the work of Satan. We asked the Lord to go before us and surround us as we entered this gateway of darkness at the very edge of hell itself. When we pulled up to the door, his crashed-up Mercedes sat out front. Even though his practice at this particular location had been defunct since the end of 2013, George still owned the clinics that he operated in, Fort Wayne, South Bend, and Gary. But as far as we could tell, the Fort Wayne Clinic was the only one that he still visited weekly, driving in on Wednesday night, sleeping in the clinic, and then leaving again on Thursday morning. You see, Thursdays used to be his... Procedure days. And the fact that he still came in and slept in a clinic that had been closed since the end of 2013 was nothing short of creepy, especially when you see the filth that surrounds it and indwells it. We walked up to the door and I knocked. There was no answer and no response or movement from inside the dark clinic. We looked at each other and shrugged. I knocked again. This time I pounded on the glass. I could already feel my blood pressure starting to rise. This is going to be over before it even began. I thought to myself, maybe he's changed his mind, I said as I looked at Amber. Admittedly hopeful that we could just turn around and leave, Amber suggested I try to call him. I found him once more on my phone and dialed his number. It rang. It rang. It rang. Voicemail. I hung up. Amber stepped forward and pounded even harder on the glass door. Suddenly, we saw movement from inside. It was George. I had never met him before, but I had seen plenty of pictures of him. He shuffled over to the door and squinted through the glass. Morning, George, I said to him through the thick glass door. We had an appointment this morning at 9 a.m. to talk to you about our documentary film. He looked like he had literally just woken up as he acknowledged us and unlocked the door. I reached out my hand to shake his and introduced Amber and myself once more. You want to talk here or sit down at a table? With his thick German accent, he was surprisingly cordial to us. I could sense that he was a bit nervous with us. I I mean, individually, Amber and I do have a tendency to do that to people. Together, intent on a mission and surrounded by prayer, (laughs) we must have freaked him out. We weren't there to try to intimidate, but we were there for the truth, and neither of us was leaving that place until we got it, as we all sat down in what looked like the break room. Amber set her phone on the table and started the recorder. You don't mind if we record this, do you? George just looked and shrugged. No, it's fine. I explained the film premise to him once more, then looked at him and said, So, tell me about yourself. How did you get to where you are now? In the years leading up to this film, I had heard what I thought were probably exaggerated stories about him and his coming out of Germany as a child. One of the harder-to-believe stories floating around had him surviving an Allied bombing raid as a child in World War II, and later swearing to kill as many American babies as he could as revenge for what he saw and endured. I had largely dismissed it as biased conjecture, passed on through the ranks of pro-life picketers through the years. So many stories like that are like urban myths, fabricated out of loosely-gathered information, and they're nearly impossible to verify. You know you're hearing a red flag story when it starts out with, I once heard that, dot dot dot. But I had come in with an open mind to listen to his life story. I knew that no one had likely bothered to even listen to him tell his story, even those liberal media members through the years who covered up his crimes while they supported his practice. If there's one thing I know about people who have lived a life of notoriety, it's that they believe the world needs to hear what they have to say. There was a pause. I leaned back in my chair and looked at George. I want to hear your story, George. When did you start down this career path? Another pause as George looked at me over the top of his glasses. Then over at Amber. He let out a long sigh. Never could we have imagined the sad and twisted life story that was about to unfold to us over the next hour. To my shock and horror, it all began for him at the age of six, living in Dresden, Germany living through the Allied firebombing raids of 1945. So part two, we leave you on a little creepy note there. Yeah. Um, Part three and four, you're going to actually hear from George. Mm -hmm. We've incorporated his uh, audio from the interview. The question for you, because I talk in this about my first impressions of George. Mm -hmm. What were yours when he first came to the door that morning?
0: a sinner that needs saved, yeah. who needed Jesus. I think th- there was so much prayer um, put into to just our time before we even went to go meet with him. And so th- it was just a one of heartbreak. You see a man who is lost and without Christ mm-hmm. and knowing his inevitable end. And so it's it's one of compassion. I mean, it, by all appearance, appearances, he was a lonely old man.
1: Mm-hmm. Stuck in his own prison.
0: Exactly, stuck in his own prison. Like we went into the abortion clinic. Yeah, you know where he did all of his evil deeds. And
1: And so, and the really sad thing is, you know, it was a prison of his own making. What would, uh, what you haven't heard about yet? George was a was a hoarder. Yes, and when you go, when you went into that clinic, it was a mess. Um, It was filthy. A mess. I mean, classic hoarder. Yeah. If you've watched hoarders on TV, that was George. Um, and it fit into, you know, of course, later when he died and they found 2,411 fetal remains in his garage. Yeah. He lived in Illinois just across the border. And in the trunk of one of his cars, he wouldn't throw anything away. But
0: there were nine Mercedes Benz yeah. in a lot. In Illinois, so he, that he would, just abandoned, right. but he wouldn't get rid of it. He was a hoarder.
1: He would not get rid of him, and he wouldn't fix him. You know, I talk in part two here about his crashed up Mercedes. I mean, he had a really nice Mercedes, but it the front end was bashed in, mm-hmm. and I mean, for years he drove it like that. Yeah, <laughs> and you just look. I mean, it was. Um, and he had he was just he was like a hoarder, and 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 a man. Just consumed with his own sin. He was stuck in a prison of his own making, spiritually and physically. And that clinic was once the height of his evil empire. And then it was just this empty shell and nothing but wickedness left in there. And it was all he had Mm -hmm. was just to hold on to that. He was still going and pretending like he had... Clients.
0: Well, and that's the thing that he he made those places his identity. Yeah. He and and how many of us do we need to really look at the way we're living our lives and make sure that we're not creating our own prisons? Yeah. And man, I'm telling you, let the Lord take hold and just be set free.
1: Yeah. It was a it was a really life changing experience to to deal with him. So anyway, that was part two. Next week, you will start to hear from george himself so anyway
0: that's all the time we have for today friends thanks so much for listening through to the end and be sure to click that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and share this with your family and friends until next time march on saints and be filled with the spirit
1: see here i'm now by myself uh uh, talking to myself that's that's okay